welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Murphy, and I'm joined by one of the regular crew today. Uh, we're just joined by Sam uh, Westy, whose birthday it is today. So if you uh, if you are listening to this and you want to wish Westy happy birthday, give him a tweet. Uh, but he's in Iceland currently with his Viking brethren, uh, or brethren, should I say. It's brethren, isn't it? Brethren, yeah. He's trying to find us a new Finley, second Finley. He is. He is. Connor to send over on a fact-finding mission and collect some data. Uh, so, yeah, he's not with us today, but we wish him a happy birthday, and we hope you're having a good time, and he'll be back next week, I'm sure. Uh, but, Sam, you are here. How are you? Just about got through Monday. Tired as anything. I was in Athlone at the weekend for the Athlone Musical Society, the final show. My girlfriend was in the show. It was an amazing show, uh, but there's always a big night out afterwards. And you know me, I don't drink too often, so I've, I'd say I've only been out for pints once since Christmas, even. Uh, I was out and I walked home at six in the morning after the theatre on, on Sunday morning. I was dying. Uh, and then I came back and I watched the match here in Galway before my girlfriend brought the daughter back towards the end of the match. So managed a bit of peace and quiet just to get the match in. And then, you know me, Kilcalgan Chinese had to be done. Had to be done last night. So I got my Chinese takeaway for dinner. Always seems like a great idea. Next day, you always feel that way, a little bit worse in the belly. But yeah, I got through Monday, which is, can't complain. Uh, big win for Ireland. Great, great weekend. Great show. Nice to have a few drinks. But I think the older you get, the the less actually appealing drinking is because of how horrible you feel the next day. Yeah, I, we, I was out myself the weekend. I was up visiting my friend and his girlfriend bought a house in Greystones. Uh, so we went up to visit them um, and another f- couple friends of ours. Um, what do you call it? Like uh, your like friends who are a couple. What do you what would you what would you refer them to? Like what do you say? Like when they're coming, do you just say like oh another couple's coming or couple friends? Thruple, thruple is that a word? No, but David Hayes in a thruple with your one from the Saturday. He's Una Healy, who I was always a big fan of. In fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, fair play to him for that one. But uh, <laughs> that's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, yeah, so. Um, there were six of us basically then, so we had, we had a good night, Lo- amazing house in Greystones. He's a doctor, she's a physio. Uh, it's different budgets to me, uh, personally. Not so not like our house where I'm a teacher and my girlfriend's a self-employed drama and music teacher. There's a diff- yeah, different yes. budgets, different lifestyle. Slightly different, slightly different. But uh, no, we had a good night, but like well, the next morning we were sitting around having breakfast and we kind of... No, I, always, I know I'm old on the inside, but like it kind of hit me that I'm old because we were all talking about like... Because they just bought the house, like, should you get curtains or blinds? And we were all sitting around, like, you know, well, we got these Roman blinds and we really liked them. And like, me and my other mate were talking about like home improvement stuff, and it was just sitting. We we're all sitting there going, "Wow, this is like the most grown-up conversation we've ever had." Uh, but it was good. We had a really good weekend. Back in time to watch uh, the Irish game. Uh, then did the radio show in Loch Ray. And then we got a gigas, Sam. We also indulged. I drove a gigas. I drove past gigas, and I was like, "Ooh!" But the girlfriend. How can you drive past? I was going to kill Colgan Chinese, and that's what that's the, the greatest Chinese on the planet. So unassuming. It's in the, in, <laughs> it's great, yeah. it's in the back yeah, of a Circle true. K, and they only take yeah. cash. They don't deliver. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they exist, but the, the Irish government doesn't know they exist. That's for sure. Oh, that yeah, is. That, for but sure. my God, they do a salt and pepper chicken or a salt chili shredded chicken, whatever you want. Oh, no, it's unbelievable. They, they know how to three in one. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, we went gigas. Um, I just I'm a gigas sponsor us or something, can you? Or at least just throw us a lot of chips every now and then. Gigas, banditos, geos, just all the Orin Moore haunts. Now that Westy's in Orin Moore, there's three of us here, big takeaway fans. We would love a little bit of sponsorship from some of the takeaways. 
Speaking of sponsorship. Segue uh, to uh, Fanzo, who have generously sponsored the podcast. Uh, yeah, it's it's heating up. One round to go, Sam, and uh, like Panda Watch, the mood is tense, you know. Uh, let me just give a let me give a quick uh, a tough week for Fanzo in terms of predictions uh, because uh, France bet England by forty three points, um, which again I was I was scanning through today no no one ha- had predicted which is not 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 a surprise no but I had predicted England because I had to go hail Mary yeah I, ha- you did. I had to and do paid it. off in the Wales game yeah but I was actually going to go for Wales anyway uh, not because I didn't think England were playing well but I think Caputo was going to be such a big miss for Italy and then you have Wales who were just due one I think and I think Italy are going to be they're going to be for the next while anyway the the full title will be not same old Italy but they're also not going to be like best in the world Italy you know they're still Italy like they're, they're still Midland so I, I went with that, but no one else seemed to have gone with that. So I did pretty well there, jumped up. Then I went right back down. But then your boy gets an exact result with Ireland by 15 in the Scotland game, threw it out there. I was praying Mac didn't score another try in the last five minutes. I was like, don't you do it to me, man. Don't you do it. Uh, so I think I'm, I think I'm busting into the top 20, uh, where yeah, I was 42nd. I was like 42nd. I was, I was down with the lads that don't even register teams. You don't know? even play, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're currently uh, 14th. Uh, you jumped Westy, who's now 19th, uh, and I I stayed the same. I I was uh, I'm eighth, eighth place again. So I had, I I backed Italy. I said, you know what, it's your time, Italy. Show me what you're made of. They didn't do it. I had France by five, so I was close with that one. Uh, I had Ireland by 14, so I was one point off. But you get 11 points more than me because yeah. you had one more point. I think. Vanzo need to look at maybe how close. Like if you're if we were one or two, it should be a little bit more points than if you're but like even nineteen's weird. Just give twenty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like why why nineteen? Some sort of algorithm. Look, might it say. keeps it keeps it tight. It keeps it tight. Um we have a three way tie at the top. So we've Mark Fitzgerald, Matthew Collins, and Jack Fogarty all on hundred and sixty three points. Uh and then the gap then to fourth, which is uh, Colin O'Halloran, he's ten points behind. So it looks to be a three-way, you know, a, tr- a three-horse race here a little bit, um, which would m- mean they all get vouchers, which is good. But if they try, if they tie, they have to agree to go together. No, if they tie all three, that they just all of them get vouchers, um, yeah. or or a duel to the death. Either way, we'll we'll, we'll figure that out. But uh, yeah, one round to go. I we couldn't have hoped. We couldn't have hoped to be any closer than it is, which has been great uh, for. I'm gonna I'm gonna win though because I'm going three wild cards next week. It's the only way to win because everyone will go with favorites next week. So I'm gonna go with the three wild cards to try and just bust my points up and just absolutely hail Mary. But see now we're kind of proving our own point here because predictions are so heavily weighted. Like I'm 15 points down, but like if if I get a spot on and Jack gets one off, I gain 11 points on him. Do you know what I mean? So it is maybe 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 we're the fools after all, but uh, yeah. Look at again. Thanks to Fanzo uh, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks to everyone who has uh, joined the league. I think 80, over eighty people, nearly ninety people are in the league at the moment, um, and still all to play for one round to go. Uh, you can still get in the action. You can still win some free Guinness for the last weekend. Uh, all you have to do is download the Fanzo app, use the code none in the Guinness Pint Predictor, and you'll join our league. You can win free Guinness. It's free to join, free to play. Uh, a bit of bragging rights over your mates and who will come out on top of us three that's the question you have to catch me I'm going to win it outright so I'm going to win you're 10 points behind me I'm so going to get those very, very doable 
I like you, you're not eligible. Like I said before, we are not eligible for these vouchers. So sorry, Sam. Unless you steal one off Jack Fogarty, which is you know that's up to you. Jack, I'll talk. Um, I'll talk to you online. Yeah, we'll talk offline. Uh, let's get into some rugby. Uh, oh, sorry. Actually, before that. Uh, we have a, a exciting announcement from the podcast. Uh, anyone who sees my social will have seen it already, maybe. But uh, Kieran Marmion, uh, Connacht player, soon to be Bristol player, um, is coming on the podcast tomorrow afternoon. So uh, he'll come on for a chat. We were st- he was the player which was had on a couple of weeks ago, obviously. Uh, but with contracts still being announced, we didn't want to get him on. I, I didn't know if he was staying or going at that stage. So I didn't want to get him on, talk about how great it is to be a Connacht player. And then two days later, it gets announced he's leaving. So. Um, we patiently waited and he'll be on tomorrow with ourselves myself and Sam will be talking to him uh, and yeah that'll be fun looking forward to that one I said anyone who wants to send questions in we'll pick a few of the better questions uh, and we'll ask that to Kieran. so you still have uh, 24 hours or so uh, to get that into us uh, and yeah looking forward to that one I hope everyone else is too yeah excited uh, by that now we've bittersweet been, bittersweet we've been huge fans of Marmion since day one of the podcast uh, and even before that but so it'd be great to get him on now there's like We've had Finley on, we've had Porsche, we have some excellent players on, but I think I don't think I'm out of turn now saying that this will be the first iconic like, legend that we'll have on. Like I think Finley would become a iconic legend, Porsche definitely getting on getting there, you know. But I think like Marmion is is already an iconic legend and not doesn't even have to move before we decide like we can agree on that, you know, the amount of games and big moments he's been involved in Irish Caps. So it's kind of it's, it's a good thing now. I'm pretty excited about this one, to be honest. Yeah, it's also the first player who's leaving. <laughs> that we have on the podcast as well, so that'll be interesting too. But I uh, know, yeah, look, um, we can uh, we'll talk to him more obviously tomorrow. Uh, let's get stuck into the rugby round four of Guinness Six Nations is in the books. Ireland remain unbeaten and sit at top of the table. Still, Grand Slam hopes still intact with one round to go uh, with England next weekend. Uh, Ireland Scotland, let's get stuck into that. Uh, finished twenty two points to seven uh, in Ireland's favour. Um, I have to say, uh, I said this last night on the radio, maybe not as a neutral, that was one of the most enjoyable games of rugby I've ever watched. I don't, maybe that's just because I was an Irish fan and there was so much stuff that was going wrong and I still came out on top, probably was a lot to do with it too. Uh, but really, like a really prideful performance, very proud watching that game, that that was the team that represents our country. Just an incredible kind of performance from a, a team that just continues to not let small stuff get in the way of them getting a result. Uh, I feel like Scotland are leaving that game going, what the hell do we have to do to beat these guys? Because four or five things went wrong in the day for Ireland, and yet they come out on top, Sam. It was just, it was a, 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 a almost a mindset masterclass. I think neutrals would have enjoyed that game. I thought it was a massively interesting game. The, the way that it kind of went to and fro in the first half, the way, like... Ireland eventually broke through and were there. The uh, the issues that surrounded, you know, new players coming back because of injury and because they've been out for so long. So as a neutral, I think you would have enjoyed the game, especially because of what was on the line for it. Now, Scotland's first chance at silverware in a long time outside of the hope that they win every time they win a match because that's the Six Nations. Like, Ireland won a trophy at the end of that, and I don't know if you've seen Sexton holding up the trophy. It's the least enthused anyone's ever looked to holding up a trophy. There's too, there's too many trophies in rugby. This is, like, there's, there seems to be always some sort of a silver dish. Every game, every game's got a trophy associated with it. But this was Scotland's big chance to triple crown was on the line for them. Uh, you know, Championship hope still alive if they'd won it. Uh, and for Ireland to go out and win in the manner that they did because of, with, with all of the things going wrong that happened, 
it's a massive result for Ireland and for the mentality of the lads and for, you know, even Farrell to be able to heart back to it when the going gets tough in a big game, say that's a World Cup quarterfinal or semifinal or whatever it's going to be, you know, Farrell can sit them down in the dressing room and go, look at the the challenges you overcame in that Scotland game. That was the toughest game that we've had, you know, that Fran- Scotland gave us a tougher game than France. Uh, Wales was no no contest whatsoever. Uh, Italy was a weird game. But I don't think tough, you know, would is a word I'd use to describe it. I think so. Italy played well at parts, but that was that was two great teams playing against each other. Scotland will feel unlucky to have come away with nothing from it because they did play excellent. But Ireland had a game plan that nullified that, and I think that everyone in this Irish system, and it's probably why it is quite hard to break into the Irish system because Farrell needs to trust that they do it, but they they trust. To the the letter, every single thing that is put for them in, in terms of game plans, they they they're so trusting in the game plan that Keen Healy can come on at hooker and they continue to play it. You know, Josh van der Feer's throwing into the lineup. They continue to play with the game plan. They have your know, ring rows going off. Henshaw moves out to thirteen, having not played at all, having thought he was coming on at twelve. They continue to play the game plan, and it just it works for them. So it's such a good position to be in. It was so enjoyable to watch. It made the hangover a lot easier. Uh, even from a, a bias point of view, I thought the two Connick lads had massive games as well. But to a man, every single player on the pitch, uh, including the Scottish players, all played well. Like it's, it was just a brilliant game of rugby. Yeah, it, it was just yeah. Uh, maybe the, I'm sure the neutrals did enjoy it, but I, I, it was just a. Uh, it was great to see Ireland under the cosh. Like they've been under the cosh briefly, but like you know they were they were losing up until whatever when they scored that try in the first half. But it looked like it was you know I think I texted our group it was like we've got a real game on our hands here. Um, and Scotland threw, I feel like Scotland threw as much of a haymaker as they could. The, the crowd were incredible. Atmosphere seemed, you know, it was just incredibly loud. Um, and like appreciation for games. Flower of Scotland. Just Flower of Scotland always always gets me going. I absolutely love it. But um, it's briefly on the Finn Russell, obviously, to talk about, you know, a lot of people still don't think he's that good. He's absolutely terrifying. When you're when your team are playing him, he's terrifying. Every time he got the ball, I was like, he's going to do something here. And they they did a pretty good job nullifying. I don't think you're ever really going to stop Finn, uh, but slowing him down at least. I think Aaron did a great job with that. Um, and like you said, yeah, like so Dan Sheehan goes off injured. Uh, Kelleher comes on his place. He gets injured. Uh, Ian Henderson breaks his wrist. Um, we had obviously Gary Ringrose towards the end. Uh, disaster there. He gets knocked out by reports coming today. He's he's in he's in good spirits in a good way. So. He won't be playing next weekend, rightly so. So that's good to hear that he's in good spirits. Um, Doris. We also had Doris. Doris. Oh, yeah. Six Nations player of the tournament by a mile so far. He goes off. Uh, but you have, you, as you said, you like obviously there's some things you, you can prepare as best you can for Van der Fleer throwing at the line out. No one saw that coming. He was, you know, your line out's good when Scotland knew exactly what they were doing every time and never stole the ball once. It was incredible. The only time they messed up, they tried to go long once. Uh, and Van der Fleer overthrew it, which was understandable. But Van der Fleer, like, just <laughs> casually throwing darts at the line too. Well, uh, incredible. I've definitely read in the past that he is a designated thrower in Leinster if they have a yellow card situation in front row. Uh, because after the Italy game last year where the front rows went off and there was all hell broke loose and it was 13 against 15, all teams are, they, they've definitely clamped down teams internally on you know, their protocols for what's going to happen if so-and-so goes off. You know, you had Keane Healy, he's registered as a pro- as a hooker, so he could. And that was that was the saving of us in that game because, you know, we're playing with 13 men or 14 men or whatever it's going to be if, if uh, you have to swap out and go uncontested. We don't win that game. Scotland are so strong and they have players like Duane van der Merwe 
that will exploit a 14 man. So Keane Healy, that's that's a, a stroke of genius. They have him there. He's registered. He was registered in one of the games and it was the Maori All Blacks game uh, about seven or eight months ago. So that's that's something that they've been aware of. And it probably comes from the bullshit that happened around the Italy game last year where Italy ended up playing with 13 men. So, you know, uh, Van der Fleer, by all accounts, has been throwing in Leinster training and is on standby if needs be as a break glass case emergency. We've spoken about in the past, Bundy nearly threw one into a line-out this year. At some point, we had uh, Conor Oliver throwing one into a line-out and it was deemed wrongfully a crooked throw. Teams need to train that and do train that. And obviously, Van der Fleer, and they have a, a, a system in place. And that system was smart. It was throw Peter o- Omani up at two, not even at two, at one, and get him in front. Because if Scotland knew what they were, what he was doing, tried to counteract it, but couldn't. And when we went to two to Peter Omani, he was safe as houses. Yeah, it was. It, it seemed with this Irish team that nothing has not been taught of. Uh, like King Healy comes on to scrummage at hooker and they win a scrum penalty. Like it's and credit to him, he's played now every position in the front row, which is uh, you know that's just a, a testament to his career as well. Um, a few performances. Uh, Conor Murray at nine. I see him getting a bit of slack, and I'm by no means a Conor Murray defender. I thought he was pretty good overall. I think what. The best part of what we've seen from that yesterday game, the game yesterday is the benefits of having two different style of players uh, in that nine position. So you had Conor Murray, who is you know the slow and steady, uh, no real mistakes. Having then Gibson Park to come on in that last you know uh, quarter of the game, um, you could see a noticeable change in the game, how the game plays, and it it maybe is an argument for uh, for Crowley going to the World Cup over the likes of a Ross Byrne. I'm not saying that's what I would want, but like. He's a different type of player to Sexton, whereas Ross Byrne is more of a Sexton kind of uh, mole. So maybe I just thought that really worked well. I thought Sexton had a pretty quiet game by his standards, but for once the Irish pack weren't dominating. Uh, ball was slow coming out of rooks. Scotland really targeted Ireland well there. So I'm not too worried about that. That's actually why I think Conor Murray is getting slack. And I don't think it's Conor Murray's fault that the ball wasn't as quick. Ireland, Ireland tried to play on front foot quick ball and Conor Murray went digging. And oftentimes Conor Murray had to... He had to uh, be part of the ruck and you had someone else. And Mac came in at one point, Bundy came in at another point. Uh, Ringrose was in at scrum half a, a couple of different points because Conor Murray was protecting the ball because the forwards were getting, maybe not dominated, but the Scottish tactic was to go after that breakdown and to slow it down in whatever way possible. So I think, yeah, there's some unfair criticism of Conor Murray. I thought he was quite good and I thought he had a hard job in his hands, especially in the first half when Scotland were very much in that game. Yeah, I, I, I think... Yes, this solidified me. I I already had to say to decide anyway. But Gibson Park is your is your one, and I think Murray for the World Cup is your is your two, um, and I'm pretty comfortable with that. Uh, but yes, yeah, excellent. I'm not worried about it either. Um, I thought Bundy, as you already mentioned him, I thought he had a quietly a fantastic game. Um, I saw some stats. Oh, I'll actually will pull them up in a second. But uh, defensively was rock solid. Um, just didn't really make any mistakes and carries ball hard and. Look, I don't like the fact that this has become a McCluskey versus Aki debate among fans. Uh, they're both very good players, and obviously, <laughs> I think Bundy's probably a little bit better, but that could be my bias uh, speaking. But they're both phenomenal players in that 12 jersey. And now having Henshaw back to slot into that 13 role next week, I assume that's the way it'll go with Ringrose missing. I think that makes the most sense, right, Sam? I, yeah, you can't see them. Maybe they go back to Bundy at 13, but you know when you have Henshaw, who is probably... Well, not probably. He's a better 13 than Bundy. Bundy, I think we said it on at the time, would be capable of learning and growing into that 13 role if he was given a couple of weeks training. But with Ringrose, 99.9% out for the weekend, I don't think 
he's going past HIA and let alone that like it looked like some neck damage and stuff so they want to ease him they want to be very precautionary around everything with him so you'll have Henshaw coming in and I can't see it being at 12 and Bundy out 13 I think it'll be Henshaw at 13 and either Bundy or McCluskey if he's back fit either of the two of them you made a good point about the Bundy versus Stuart McCluskey thing and I've been guilty of this in the past and I've tried my hardest to stop because I've seen how septic it is from the other side and I've tried to stop but the insecurity of Irish fans is really weird at the moment where there's like I screenshotted one and I sent it to someone on, on Twitter. I was like, this is just it's beyond belief. Someone was complimenting Mac and said it was Ron O'Gara said, oh, Mac Hansen had a brilliant game. He was everywhere. Unbelievable player. And someone replied underneath, uh, as was Peter O'Mahony. I was like, it's weird. Like, it's just it's it's such insecurity. Like, not even the same position, not even oh, close. <laughs> it, it's 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 a it's a level of insecurity that you don't see. And I've noticed it in a couple of people is like this constant like maybe undermining of what Bundy's been doing or bigging up Stuart McCluskey and saying things, these backhanded compliments like Stuart McCluskey doing a lot of the uh, the the dirty work, he won't get the praise for it because, well, actually, you're praising him. Uh, and we've done that in the past with Connacht players. We've felt Connacht players deserve to be in the squad ahead of other players at times, and we felt that they've been hard done by. And I still do feel like that, but I think that there is a, there's a big level of insecurity amongst the Irish fans at the moment, and it, it's quite unnerving just from a septic point of view because you do want to try and band them together spoken at length about how hard it is to you know to really get behind a, uh, an Irish team unless there is some kind of representation of it that's just how I feel with you know you want to feel a part of it that team of us thing is like it's a slogan but it also is how you want to feel but I don't think it needs to be every single time someone is complimented for playing well it doesn't need to be a comparison with someone else like you know you can't say like oh let's say, you know, Peter O'Mahony played well and then the reply will be, well, Scott Penny played better or Doris will play better there. It's like, you know, you can just give props for how it's done. And I've made an effort to do it and change that. And I, you hope to see that that kind of sea change in the Irish, the, the online presence anyway. Uh, and not just the online presence, the media as well, because you hear it on when you listen to news talk or off the ball or whatever you're listening to. You do hear it there as well. You say stuff like, Mac Hansen had a great game, you know, but uh, can't wait to see how Balakun fit. We've got such depth in numbers. Like, you don't need to bring the other player into the conversation when complimenting a player for how well they played. Yeah, and I think it's the fact that Ireland is the four teams. I think like in France when you have the 14 pro teams, I'm sure it's just like a, it's even a harder conversation to have whereas the four teams you have, everyone knows everyone and it's just, yeah, it's, it's but it's a waste of time. But sorry, I wanted to look up a stat so thanks to friend of the podcast Owen Harrison over the hill prop. Uh, he tweeted yesterday, so Aki took some flack against Italy for his defensive display. In that game, uh, Aki uh, made or attempted eight tackles and missed four of them, uh, whereas Ringrose was targeted by the Scots uh, seven times, sorry, nine times and missed seven of them. So, like, again, I know, like, these stats are, can be sometimes a bit misleading. Ringrose didn't have a bad game. Uh, but just, it's an, a reminder that not everything is as easy as it may look on TV and the systems at play. We're, Sam, we're talking all the time about James Lowe jumping out of, you know, the, the line. It's tactical. And Don Lennon will still be like, it's a ballsy call by him there. <laughs> he's obviously been told to do this. Yeah, he's not been dropped for doing it. So it's he's definitely tactical. I, I had said the same stuff. Farrell's in the coach box going like, Lowe's gone rogue again. He's done it again. I, like, it just I, doesn't happen. I said the same stat after the Italy game. Bundy got the four missed tackles and eight made tackles. And the week before, Ringrose was being lauded for having a masterclass in defence against France. And he had four missed tackles and ten made tackles. So similar st- uh, statistics from the 13 channels. So I don't look too heavily into uh, missed tackles. I used to be big onto how many missed tackles a player had, but uh, missed tackles don't take into account half of the the story. You got regularly you have people like Lowe or Mac Hansen who've been advised or 
tactically told to jump out of the line to force it back inwards and they they get a high level of missed tackle stats your 13 will get a high level of missed tackle stats because of the nature of the players they're playing against and the positions they're in uh, and wingers or scrum halves in the Irish system burst up as well and it's pressures and it's all about pressures and I don't think defensive uh, coaches look too with too much interest into missed tackles uh, because of all of the different circumstances around what gets constituted a missed tackle but yeah the I thought Bundy was excellent. I don't even think quietly excellent. I think he was very, very good. He was really good tip on pass for low for a big break. Uh, some lovely hands, some barnstorm runs. You know, he's always good at a breakdown. Uh, I thought he was. I thought he was excellent. Uh, and you know, you going through the whole team there, but I want to just get <laughs> the word in for Mac. Like, what a performance! Yeah, let's 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 move on to Mac. Uh, his third man the match, I think, with Ireland in total. He won got one in his first game. He got one. I would say incorrectly uh, against, was it Italy he got one? Was it the last game out, yeah. yeah. Last game, I think. I didn't think he was the best game player. But again, how much do you read into these player matches? I don't really care about them. But he was by far the best player yesterday for Ireland. He just, look, this is what we said about Mac, and we've been defending Mac because he's kind of, I say, I said he came under a bit of flack online. I suppose every player does it at one stage or another with, with how Twitter works. But um, Mac can look like he's having a quiet game, but he's still doing the stuff that Farrell loves. He's you know the the, the primary chaser of kicks, um, comes into the midfield, gets involved, and all that, and he's really good at it. Yesterday was a game where Everton he tr- attempted just turned to gold, and some he might he might try the exact same things against England and they won't work. But that's why you have him on the pitch because when it does work, he wins you games. He is the X factor. He's Simon Cowell. Like he's that's that's just what he is. That's and that's why Farrell loves him. And it's worth having him out there over maybe a more solid option, the likes of uh, Keith Earls or Conway, who you know are never really going to have bad games, but they don't have the ceiling that maybe Mac has. That's and and Farrell probably weighs that pretty heavily in terms of going to a World Cup or trying to win a Six Nations. Like not to get too like sports anal- analytics on it, but the you know the 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 what's the best way of putting this but it, it probably works out better for if, if mac has two incredible games out of five instead of maybe four really steady games it's probably more beneficial for ireland to have those two outstanding games and maybe three slightly quieter and i say that in air quotes because he still gets through an awful lot of work he had two jackals yesterday for crying out loud yeah, where where is where is he pulling these out of that's not that's not normal for mac right no i don't remember too many of jackals uh He's he's in around the breakdown. Connacht wingers do get quite involved in breakdowns. Porchy loves a good shot breakdown. You know, he's not necessarily the best at it, but he loves it. Uh, and Mac as well. Porchy's got a good good turnover record. And I think Mac, I don't remember offhand too many turnovers, but he does. They do get involved in the breakdown because of our wide forward running tactic. Uh, the the winger tends to be the next man there, and you're kind of securing off. So I think yeah, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. One of the things that he does, even in his quiet games, is he shows up at scrum half or behind the out half so often uh, that he involves himself. There's you know he's he's getting to the he's gone from wing to wing like he's not he's not a left winger or right winger. He's on both wings at different points. He'd be passing to low from outside the thirteen to the left wing. So it was just a sensational game. The take you know in the air one of the one of the small criticisms of him can be from outside of Connacht that he's not that good in the air because he's had a couple of times in Ireland where he's had a hard time of it he's not necessarily gotten on the ball we've seen a Connacht how safe he can be under the high ball but that one you know for the kick chase that he gets the offload before he even touches the ground it's it's just a stupidly good uh bit of skill there and it was I think when he's playing with confidence he's looking for the ball he feels like he's the best player on the pitch and he plays like it, and it just it goes through everyone. He brings everyone into it, and yeah, I'm delighted for him because he, for us as Connacht fans, we're we're so proud of him playing for Ireland. But it's you know it's great to see 
universal appreciation to such an extent that Ron O'Gara sitting in France, you know, on his day off, we watching the Ireland matches, talking about how good he was. I I thought that was such high praise because I don't, you know, I follow Ron O'Gara on Twitter. I don't remember him singling out players overly often. So that's it. You know, it's such a great piece of praise. And it's, it's class to see him being part and parcel of the Irish team, not just like involved every once in a while, but, you know, one of the starters without a doubt. This is where if I was one of those sort of profiles, I'd be like, uh, Mac to La Rochelle confirmed, question mark. Uh, but no, you're right. He was, I'm going to throw a big word out here, Sam. He was ubiquitous, which uh, for stupid people like me means he was everywhere. Uh, he was just, yeah, I know. It was a pretty good word, right? Was that a, um, what one, What was the movie that won all of the Oscars last night? Everything, everywhere, all of the time or whatever it's called? I'm the least movie person of all time, so I don't know. It wasn't Banshee's winning Sharon, so that's all I know. No. Um, but yeah, Mac. Mac obviously was the uh, yeah delighted for him. And what I love about Mac is, and maybe it's the fact that he wasn't born in Ireland. Maybe it's, this is where the mentality comes from. He he doesn't he doesn't really care. Like he would try those things if he was having a really bad game. He'd still try the offload. He'd still try uh, the pass that really isn't on. Like it's it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happening. He he is one hundred percent purely himself. Uh, and that's that just happens to be an incredibly good rugby player, yeah. Uh, which I love. I love that about him. He was another player I want to highlight. Sorry, go ahead. He was supposed to have a bad game because he was being matched up on Duan Banamurva, which everyone assumed was his bad match because the the lazy criticism of him is that he's not very good at tackling because people have seen one gif of Dan Shee and stepping him. But actually, no, maybe he didn't make all his tackles on Banamurva. But as a team, Ireland had a game plan to stop him and Hugh Jones and uh, Tupeloto and Stain, which are just and Hog. Like what a backline they have, and what a, what a devastating backline when they get going. But Banamurva didn't have that game. He wasn't enabled to have the game that he had against England because they had a tactic where they forced him back inside. They forced him into the bigger men. They allowed the tackles to be made by the lads that could take him down by you know, getting that winger up quick, low jumping up and forcing him back inside, Mac doing the same. So it was tactically an, a phenomenal display uh, defensively and it stopped, it nullified a devastating back line. Like, you know, I think there was a Hugh Jones got their try and that was a great try and they, they worked us to manage to get that gap there. They worked us back and forth and dragged players in and exploited the gap. Uh, other than that, I think we did match them and it was like two, for a good while there, it was like two big brick walls fighting each other. Yeah, like Max, Max never going to make a dominating hit. He's never going to put someone back on his arse. But he very rarely lets them go. Like he'll clap on the clamp on the little ankles or whatever, and he'll he'll make a tackle. But anyway, another player I wanted to highlight, and my love for him grows every week. And it's Peter Manny. God, he's just such a good fucking rugby player. Um, he's only and he seems to be only getting better. He's just such a smart like. The first few minutes I saw, I tweeted about it. Uh, Finn was trying to make a breakthrough, and you could see O'Mahony he made a conscious effort to block off offloading channels and to wrap the ball up with Finn. So it was obviously discussed before. But to have that awareness, it's just incredible. You know, in the line-out, he was fantastic. He never makes a bad read. Like, he's 33 years old, 90, 94 caps, I think, now for Ireland. Um, he has to go down as one of the all-time greats for Ireland in terms of just longevity and giving it absolutely everything every week, week in, week out. And I'd love it. If they had a good run in the World Cup, ideally win the bloody thing, uh, would be a great like send off for the likes of the likes of Sexton and him and whatever the, who would ever be their last World Cup. But um, he was outstanding again, wasn't he, Sam? Class. Even what I said earlier, you know, jumping up a two and uh, Van der Fleer's throwing like 
that's probably a tactic, but it's also it, it requires a lot of skill to get in front and to be as dominant as he is. He's he does a lot of unforgiving work. You know, he does a lot of dirty work. He's around, but he's a great leader. We've seen him being picked as a leader. He picked as a captain for Lions in the past. You know, for midweek games, and what have you. Uh, he's a sensational rugby player. He's been so good for Ireland, and he's actually coming. I I said it last year, and wrongly I said it now, and I, I'll admit that I was wrong. That I thought his role was going to be as a finisher, much like we we talk about Conor Murray with that role, you know, twenty minutes at the end. And I thought he was going to be an outstanding finisher to come on and to shore it up and to be a cool head and experienced and get some nitty gritty turnovers to win you a few lineouts to to captain for the last couple of minutes. And actually, he has risen past that again to a stage where I'm going with a starting backline. I think you pick Doris at eight over Conan and. Uh, you allow Peter Roman, he plays six, and Van der Fleer is just a lock there at seven. So, yeah, he's in a starting back, lo- back row there, uh, and I don't think there's, there's any question of that anymore. I think Conan's a great player, you know, Tess Lyon, but I think our starting team has a, a Kaelin Doris starting ahead of Conan, uh, and I don't think you give up what Kaelin Doris brings you by moving him to six to allow Conan to start. Maybe you maybe start playing with an idea of Conan at six, but no, at the moment, it's O'Mahony, Van der Fleer and Doris at the back, the back row for me. Uh, and without much competition, personally, I think. Yeah, like he's he's just he's he's always uh, an eight or nine out of ten nearly every week. You know what I mean? He's just and he, and you love his passion for it. I can't speak high enough about him. And um, everyone got to play for Munster. Obviously, that's a low point. But look, that's it. it. We, we all maybe, have our flaws. Maybe he'll come here now when Bundy goes there next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight swap. But uh, I think the last so another player. I just. I know we're going through players. We're not actually going too much in depth into the game. You'll notice Westy is our, our in-game analysis. He, he'd know a lot more and he'd I remember a lot more about games than we would. But uh, there's, you know, the Dan Sheehan, the, the Ron Keller injuries. But Hattie Pascal Porter, 80 minutes uh, he went through and he was phenomenal. He made, you know, try-saving tackles. He was everywhere. He athleticism to get through 80 minutes because there was never going to be the plan for him to get through 80 minutes. But because Healy has to step in at hooker. Porter gets through such a level of work, and that's it's so commendable to see that. So like, it's not like he's a light frame; like he's massive. No, and you've been scrummaged. It's so impressive. You've been scrummaged against Andrew Ferguson all day, and then Pierre Schumann is definitely not pleasant Schum- to play opposite. Uh, love the Scotland fans go shoo, but no, I don't. You know, the try saving tackle that Porter had uh, some key moments, uh, and you know he's been criticised for scrummaging. People that know better than I do probably know more about whether or not he was boring in at the weekend, but he managed to get through. We managed to win a couple of scrum penalties when we had Keane Healy playing and, you know, a tired Andrew Porter having played 60, 70 minutes at that point. We got some key scrum, pen- scrum penalties that allowed us to maintain our lead. So what a game he had as well. Like everyone to a man, we could we could go through all 23. They all did play well. Uh, and a lot of Scottish players played well as well. It was just such an enjoyable game of rugby. Like I was sitting there kind of, you texted us saying we have a game in our hands. I was like, I can do like this is... This is great rugby to watch. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and great to see Tyg Furlong back. Like, there's a lot of these things are happening, and this is me getting ahead of myself, obviously. But you do wonder, a lot of these changes, would they have happened without the injuries? And is it almost like a, is it almost like a sign from the universe here? Like, like Ireland are the most prepared and the, mo- the most depth they've ever had going into a World Cup. Uh, with just because of injuries that happen, you know, and we're reaping the benefits for that, and hopefully we'll reap the benefits for that come, uh, come World Cup. Quick, quick note on the World Cup, Sam. Obviously, a lot of people were viewing Scotland as a potential banana skin. Uh, obviously they still are, but more, more confident about about that challenge uh, in in the end of this year. I'm such an optimist. I was never overly unconfident by them. I would have been more kind of 
in the thinking, just as an Irish fan, that they would be a banana skin for the South Africans and not for us. Uh, I think we were told they were going to be not banana skin in the last World Cup. They weren't. Every year we go into Six Nations, we're told that they can cause us upset. Yes, they can, but they don't. Uh, I think Ireland at the moment are a better team than them. And if we continue on the trajectory we're on, I don't think that it'll be, you know, we're not going to blow them out of the water. We're not going to do what France did to England, but we're going to win the game. Uh, I'd be fairly confident that. We had a lot of injuries at the weekend. We started with players that hadn't played you know, what's Furlong played this year? Probably less than a game's worth of minutes, and he got through. He hasn't played in uh, 100 days, I think. 100 days, but also overall this season, I think how much actual rugby has he played? Even for Leinster, he's probably played like two games max. Uh, I doubt he played the full games there. You have Henshaw coming back from a big injury. Um, so all in all, I, I think that Scotland are becoming a formidable side. Their backline are unbelievable. Like I thought... The way Finn Russell, you know, he, he gets out and Keenan makes a try, save and tackle, and we get the turnover. But Finn Russell has a has a line there that Cipriani highlighted on Twitter, and he just gets outside so well. They're they're a, an excellent team with massive amount of depth now. You know, I'm, I'm scared of their backline. I'm still scared of their backline, regardless of what happened at the weekend. But I I don't I'll eat my words. You know, I go to eat my words, but I just don't see them being the banana skin. I think people were saying last week, we're like, oh, it'll be close. And I backed them at 15. And I think Ireland were good for a 15-point win in the end. Very tough first half. Very close. But when we needed to, Ireland put the pressure down and executed and kept to the game plan and it worked. Yeah, Ireland just seems super, super fit as well. Um, speaking of that England game, let's get on to oh. it. <laughs> this is one that, as uh, I said, Fanzo threw the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, I don't think anyone had more than, let's say, France by maybe t- 12 or 14 in this one. And France beat England in Twickenham 53 points to 10. It was 27-3 at half time. So it wasn't even like, you know, first half was tight and then France just blew them out of the water. This was just a good old fashioned arse kicking from minute one to minute 80. But like, I think the big thing I'm taking from this, Sam, is. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't panic if I was an English fan. Like obviously, it's far from ideal, but this is Steve Borwick's fourth game in charge. If this happens in a year's time, that's there's some questions have to be answered and it's a red flag. But I think like France, albeit France aren't in the vein of form they were last season, they're still an incredibly good uh, rugby team, probably the top two and three in the world. Uh, and when they're on song, they're incredible. And you only have to be half a second late to a lot of these reads, a lot of these tackles. Uh, and you made it look foolish, and they put fifty three up on you. Like I don't know. I, I, trying to be level headed here. Obviously, it's easy to be like, "Oh my god, this is a terrible." Bring back a Jones, but he's four games into a system. You're playing arguably the best one of the top two teams in the world. Um, like sometimes this is this might happen, right? Yeah, France scored some good tries. I I'd be in total agreement with you. I wouldn't be worrying if I was an England fan too much. I've said that they need to give Borthwick time. Much like I said, we need to give Pete Wilkins time next year. Uh, Ireland needed to give Andy Farrell time. Wales, Gatlin's a different story because he's there before and the state of the Welsh Union. I think I would be a little bit more worried if I were them. Uh, but still also, he needs time to embed systems. You come to the World Cup, I said last week, I think England are going to get harder and harder to beat. I don't think they're necessarily going to get very good uh, before then, but they have the next World Cup because Borthwick was given a five-year deal. Borthwick's exceptional coach, you know, what Leicester were doing under him isn't too dissimilar to what England were doing under Eddie Jones in terms of tactics and style. And I think that's the way that Borthwick's going to go. I don't think there's going to be a big sea change and change between styles. Borthwick's not going to adopt a free-flowing running uh, play to Marcus Smith's strengths game of rugby. And I I wouldn't be too worried about this. This one just got away from them. France were playing with their tails up. France played really well. Penno 
just he kind of seemed he was almost kind of disinterested in the game and then he goes and scores two tries in four minutes at, at the end of the game just stupidly good rugby player and um, Olivon was excellent the try they scored very early on was it a minute or two in was Ramos's try there was some big big performances from France uh France hadn't won in England I think since 2005 in Twickenham since 2005 I think I had read which is that's 18 years that's nine trips to thing to Twickenham in the Six Nations alone let alone if World Cup warm-ups I don't know if they've played them in friendlies or autumn internationals or anything like that but uh it was, yeah, France wanted to win there. They wanted to get that monkey off their back going into the World Cup. They went undefeated for most of last year. They lost to Ireland then. That was kind of a big kick up the arse that they probably needed a little bit of scar tissue to get over to bring them into the World Cup so they didn't think they were invincible. This Six Nations hasn't gone exactly to plan, but I'd say that they're still calm about it. But when they want to, they can really put the pressure on and they exploited an England team that lacking on confidence, maybe still not quite bought into a system or still not fully understanding a system uh playing with playing with some baggage there you know Farrell dropped his captain Gange brought in his captain Marcus Smith questions around his ability so or his ability on an England level not Ireland's level so it's it was kind of a perfect perfect storm for France they really exploited it in a way we've said as Connacht fans we'd love to see Connacht do you know if there's a wounded animal to not let it fight back but to actually just cut the foot in the throat so I wouldn't be too worried about England, if I was an England fan going into it, I think that they have the easier side of the World Cup draw. And I think that, you know, Borthwick will make them very difficult to beat. But what I would be worried about is if I was an England player, I think that, albeit I don't think it'd be the be all and end all of decision making time, I think Borthwick will get a better understanding of the character of some of his players through games like this. And I think you might see some players that maybe they've been stalwarts for England, maybe they were in and around the squad for England for a while. But I think that, you know, players will just get quietly dropped and never get back into the fold after some of the results and the performances now because he'll see them in training, he'll see what they're like, he'll see how they react to this sort of loss, they'll see, you know, how they react to him. And I think that this could be quite a telling time for England in terms of the the playing staff he has. And some players might quietly just never, never really be involved for England again in a way that some Irish players have been and we've questioned it going, why aren't they getting in? Coaches have an idea about people and, you know, they, they might not have, call it a grudge, but they, they have an understanding of people. And I think Borthwick can be ruthless enough when he wants to be. So this this could be a really big Six Nations in the future of some of these English players. And then with that and the state of rugby in the Premiership, you might see an exodus of players. They might move looking for a bit of work if they're not in the England fold. So it could be, could be a telling time for England. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, the, to touch on what you said there, the, yeah, if, the only thing I would be a bit annoyed about if I was an England fan was your 27-3 down at half time. To come out and only score seven points that second half, it's just, it, it, I would be a bit like questioning there, like, where was the fight there? Where was the... I'm not saying they didn't fight. Scored for about like, five minutes, not, and they looked okay, yeah, and they scored. They scored, <laughs> yeah, they scored straight away, but then to not push on from that and then to concede... You know, another twenty six points again. Like it's just, it's tough. But I don't think, uh, like a lot of things in life, it's never as bad as it seems, and never as good as it seems. Do I think France are forty three points better than England on most days? No, I don't. Um, I think you only have to be a little bit off here, and France can make you look very, very stupid. And that's what happens. This is the this is the anomaly of a result. Uh, but great turnout from the French uh, crowd fans in the, in the stadium. They were singing in the Leila Blue the whole time. Uh, some booze coming out from English fans, which I don't love, but I, you know, it's understandable, I suppose, to some degree. Uh, but you just have to give that. I said, if this happens in two years' time, that's that's a much bigger worry to me than four games into a regime. But 
Um, we'll move on to the last game, uh, or the first game of the weekend. Italy-Wales in Rome. Uh, I'm disappointed in Italy, I have to say. I thought this was their I thought this, this was their moment. I was ready to crown them, ready to rub it into Welsh faces. Uh, and Wales come on top, 29.17. Um, a huge game from Rhys Webb. Uh, <laughs> he was phenomenal. Um, he, well, hasn't played in God knows how many years in Six Nations. Uh, comes back and is just pulling the strings. Really smart, number nine. Um, and just kind of just just picked apart Italy. Um, just disappointing from Italy, Sam. Was, I thought this 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 was their moment to to announce that they are they are who we think they are. They're now a really really good team. Um, and they just couldn't put it together. Yeah, and I said this a couple of weeks ago. So they're at risk of you know two or three years without winning. They're at risk of losing the full the title, not the Italy of old, and actually just becoming the Italy of old again. You know. They've never been the easiest team to play against consistently. They have often had upsets. So I think they need to start racking up a win or two per tournament for them to, to fully shake the idea that they are the whipping boys of the thing. This wasn't a comprehensive win for Wales at all. I thought Wales were not that impressive. I thought they're like line breaks. I didn't think that they they particularly executed well. I think Italy didn't lose the game themselves, but they didn't capitalize on some decent enough positions. And maybe you've, you've lost... But uh, so you've lost that little bit of pace, that little bit of pace there, or that little bit of magic. Uh, I thought Tommaso Allen was good at fullback, and I don't remember him playing there too often before. So I think you know that was a good tactic from uh, them to try and just get you know their best fifteen players on the pitch, regardless. Because if you lose someone of the standard Capuoto, who is just he's their he's head and shoulders their best player, I think that they they did. The right thing and bringing him in, and he was he was quite good. And Italy, Italy were good and didn't execute and butchered a few chances. And I think Wales just grounded out and got through it. And I don't think Wales will be overly chuffed with themselves outside of getting the win that they needed. Uh, I I don't think that they'll be raving about the performance. Uh, I don't think they'll want to use that as a benchmark to start any sort of springboard into into their future and how they're going to play. Uh, I think that they just got through what they needed to uh, and. I wasn't. Yeah, Reese Webb was pretty decent. So Hawkins was all right, um, but on the whole, no, I, I thought it wasn't the best game of rugby, and I wouldn't be too chuffed if I was a Wales fan. I'd be a bit disappointed. If I was an Italy fan that you didn't kick on and get the result that you probably could have, because I think that was the game that they would have targeted for the win because of the the state of Wales so far in the tournament. Uh, but it just means that there's no wooden spoon for Wales this year, which will be a big relief for them. Yeah, they've drawn five points now. They got the full five points uh, yesterday. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, look, a lot a lot of bounces. Literally, the Rio Dyers try, that's incredible bounce, goes their way. Uh, and a really nice snipe from Reese Webb, kind of second half, puts Falatau away. Like, a few small things went their way, but they capitalised. I think their experience, like, just the experience of being Wales, you know, being a really good team for a long time. Not, not at the moment, but they still have a lot of quality players out there. Italy, Italy are fi- we're finally going into the game expecting to win, which is not familiar territory for them at all. <laughs> so I think that may have uh, produced maybe some of the sloppiness we've seen. Whereas now going into next week, Italy travel to Scotland, they'll probably perform better because they're not expecting to win. You know, maybe internally, I'm sure I'm sure they always try and win, but you know they're go- going with a lot less pressure. There was actually pressure on that game to beat a, a struggling Wales, and they just couldn't do it, which is a shame. But Italy are definitely, definitely a lot better team than they were uh, when when it clicked that they scored a few of those tries. It was lovely, lovely rugby. That is a bit of the downside to them as well, though. Like Kieran Crowley was given out before the game about Wales and the tactics and the kick, and 
And you've heard you've heard that in the past with loads of players. I think Gatlin was very critical of Joe Schmidt with the kick, and when kicking walked Joe Schmidt into the you know number one team in the world and a couple of Grand Slams and stuff. And we've heard criticism of England under Eddie Jones kicking, and we know what a tactical genius Eddie Jones is. And then I heard a stat there, listen to a podcast on the way home that you've got 11 of 12 games so far in the Six Nations, the team that kicks more wins. So you can be critical of kicking all you want. We used to be very critical of the box kicking. We've, we're critical of that as a tactic and we we laud Italy for playing as much as they do. I think they only kick 20 times in the game. You know, we're very, we're full of high praise for them for not kicking the ball away and for trying to play. But is it their downfall? Is it, you know, is it just tactical naivety to not kick and to have your coach come out and be critical of a game plan that Wales, yeah, it's not enjoyable to watch, but Wales won the game at the end of the day. So who's laughing really? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Is it is Italy just trying to be different because maybe it's their best chance of winning? If they feel like they're going to get into a kicking competition with these teams, these teams are a lot more organised and seem to be better set up. Um, so are they going to even lose worse or lose more? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, yeah, like I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna sit here and say, "Oh God, I love a good kicking battle." It's not great to watch, but there's no, you can't deny it anymore that it just bloody works. So, uh, but yeah, look, it's a disappointant for Italy to go into next week, uh, last week's uh, or next week's sorry fixtures. Uh, they're the first game on that Saturday, half twelve kickoff. Scotland hosts Italy. Uh, then we have France, Wales at quarter to three. And then finally, it works out pretty sweetly. Last game, five o'clock, uh, Ireland, England. Um, we will be in a pub watching that bad boy. Uh, probably tipsy at that stage and having a bit of crack and hopefully celebrating a Grand Slam win. Um, actually, sorry, Sam, before we do sign off, we should touch on Connacht signing. Um, Sean, uh, Jan- is it Janssen or Janssen? Janssen. On the, the press release thing you screenshot and sent me, uh, I don't know, you got a press release thing, I didn't, but... Uh, do you get that because you're you're fancy and podcasty? But it actually has I'm, I'm a big, deal. big it, deal. It had a little proviso at the bottom. It said for uh, TV and commercial purposes, the J is pronounced. So yeah, it's Jansen. Oh, Jansen. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so Connick signed 23 year old Sean Jansen from Lesser Tigers, uh, number 80 Hales from Dunedin, New Zealand, but he is Irish qualified. Um, we're pretty pretty happy with this, Sam. Pretty excited. He's he's young, Irish qualified, and tons of potential, which is sort of the perfect mold for a Connick signing. Um, and like coming from Leicester, he's going to be a pretty, pretty uh, physical number eight. Yeah, I was l- looking more into, put my hands up and say, I'm only really aware of him from the Claremont game earlier, but he's played 11 games this season, started uh, five of them, I think, and he scored five tries in those 11 games. So, you know, nearly a one and two for them. Uh, looked a little bit into it. He signed originally on a short term deal. And the tweet that they put out when they signed him to a longer term deal was that we were so happy with uh, how he's performed that we've signed him onto a longer deal. All the replies under that from Leicester fans were all praised, delighted how it was. A lot of the replies that I went through when I was looking through, I, I kind of went deep dive into his name on Twitter. Uh, a lot of the Leicester fans very high on what he'd shown on the pitch, questioning why he hadn't played a little bit more towards you know the end of the last season and start of this season. Uh, Borthwick seemed to like him, and Borthwick had you know he had like he had Jasper Visa there playing number eight. He has a, a type of eight that he likes. Uh, the footage we've seen of him, he looks quite disruptive. Disruptive destructive with the ball which is something I think we've been missing since Big Papa left uh, something that I think we've been crying out for since before we had Big Papa uh, and then I messaged privately a Leicester fans page on Twitter just to ask how Leicester fans felt about it and he said that they'd be disappointed to see him go but understand the current state of uh, rugby over there you know you can't be keeping 
backlogs of players. So they, you know, financially in England, there is some deals to be had. I think you know, it sounds it sounds dark that we can go capitalize on some of the financial woes of the team. But the some Irish qualified players over there, even if you don't realize they're Irish qualified. I like what Pete Wilkins said about him. Said that he knew about him from before he signed for Leicester. That they they had an eye on him, and I, I believe him. You know, you do your due diligence as a coach. You you look into players. You see the provincial side of things. You spoke to Andy Friend on the podcast, and he said, you know. They had algorithms to be put together and they had a database of players and Hodgson to Tutu and Big Papa were two that came out of that. And then a couple of weeks later, Hodgson to Tutu is ripping up the league. So really, yeah, really chuffed with it, excited by it. It seems like the type of player we can have. He's primarily an eight, but it said in the press release he can play across the back row. So it is a position we were worried about. By From our belief now, uh, Paul Boyle signed an extra year deal. Uh, it's not been announced yet, but that's what we understand Uh so hopefully that is the case because he's a great player and he's coming back to his best at the moment. Uh, but having some competition for him there, having a destructive eight, having someone that kind of keeps us allowing Butler to play uh, seven, six or seven, uh, and Hurley Langdon to play six or seven instead of needing either two of them at eight, I think is an, another excellent reason to sign. So chuffed with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm always happy to get a new toy as well. You know, it's a kid of Christmas like Just shiny things. Just, you know, it's the one thing, it's one thing re-signing players, but new signings, ooh, love that. He looks like a bastard as well. And uh, you know me, 15 bastards is what I want. So we got Joe Joyce, got Connor Oliver, we got this uh, lad now, we got Early Langton. I think I think Prendergast could turn into a little bit of a bastard as well. Finley, Finley's got bastard eye like traits. I wanted to actually bring that up. Sorry, I forgot to bring up in the Irish, uh, our Irish talk. Uh, love how much of a bastard James Ryan's become. Yeah. I know we've spoken about it before, but God, he's he's so needed. Growing but, into uh, that that's we won't we won't get back into that. But uh, yeah, I, I I totally agree. I love the fact that Pete Wilkins has been following him since he's been in New Zealand. Um, it means obviously he believes that he can fit pretty well into the system. Otherwise, he wouldn't. Uh, it would be bringing him in. And look, yeah, we obviously we like Paul Boy. We like a lot of these players. Um, some of them on the podcast, but having and more options is never a bad thing in terms of rugby. Like if if this guy is super physical. When big boys come to town, having him there as an option, uh, I feel like we had that with Big Papa. But we didn't use him enough. Obviously, there was issues with the the yellows and you reds. You were red card in his first five minutes. Or yeah, so. well, let's hope this guy's a bit better at, uh, or at least not as targeted uh, with refs or having hasn't got that uh, reputation. But yeah, as you said, it's it's exciting to have new players coming in. Him and Joe Joyce coming uh, are the two that we know so far. I don't know if we're getting any more than that. Hopefully, we do. But I've heard I've heard rumblings not about anyone in particular, but we're looking at uh, a backup ten. I don't know what that means in the long run for Fitzgerald. I'd say they're looking more Hawkshaw as as potentially a ten and also as a twelve. But I've heard yeah, a backup ten is could be on the card. So it'd be great to get another signing or two. By all accounts, money is tight. You know, we've heard that, we've seen that, we've seen that firsthand with some of the players that have to leave. But I don't believe there's no money there. I was listening to Willie Rand the other day on Galway Bay, and he said, you know, we're stable financially, but we're not ripping the piss with our money, which is reassuring as a fan to hear. It's, it's not the nicest thing to not think, yo, you just go out and buy players and get whatever players you want. You want to see like a a big splurge as a fan because you like shiny new things but no the, the longevity of the team is first and foremost the most important thing yeah to fans who are you know and we obviously we'll talk to Kieran Marmion tomorrow like obviously fans want to keep Kieran Marmion but Kieran Marmion requires certain money to be kept and rightly so he's worth every penny of it but would you rather you know unfortunately let a player like that go and keep the club afloat or would you rather have a wasp situation where your club doesn't exist anymore um, you know, like and Connacht and people keep forgetting Connacht are undergoing a pitch redevelopment and a stadium redevelopment, 
um, and that is not cheap. So like the fact that can't, it's it's far from ideal. I get it that we can't splash the cash, but it maybe it means in a couple of years that you can splash the cash, and then you have a great facility that will attract even more players. So. It's just, unfortunately, it's all about being patient, and that is never fun. Now, just do what Munster do and get some sugar daddy gives a load of money so we can buy some South African yeah, World well, Cup winners, no? We need to, that's what we need, need more rich people in, in, in Connacht. You go uh, ask your boss now and see what he says. My boss is American. Exactly. Sugar doesn't daddy. Doesn't even know, doesn't even know Ruby exists, probably. Anyway, look at, we'll wrap it up there. I said the Connacht, or the Kieran Marmion episode will be out Wednesday. Um, uh, if you have questions for him, please send them on. Uh, and please give it a listen I'm sure it'll be fantastic uh, Sam thank you for joining and we will catch you uh, in a few days and next week chat to you tomorrow yeah I can't wait excited <laughs> now